Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Jonah chapter four. So we're going to read from the end of the book of Jonah, which is inappropriate. So let me, uh, let, me, let me set this up. It's an honor to open the Bible today. I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I hope that's my goal, and I hope that's your experience. My teaching style is really simple. What happened? And then more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? So what if we understand what happened if it does nothing to change our lives, right? And so, so we're going to read this. Uh, we're going to read part of this story. It's an amazing story. Uh, we're going to read from the end of it. It's about a guy named Jonah. Here is the story. Here's the whole book of Jonah in three minutes, okay? So you're going to have to pay very close attention, right? So there's this guy named Jonah. He's the son of Amittai. He was called by God to preach to Nineveh, all right? Pause. We have to talk about Nineveh for a second. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It, they, these were, they were barbarians, okay? Like they invented things that you cannot believe. They invented things called the scathe. The scathe was if you crossed them, they put you in a hollowed out boat with only your head, your arms, and your legs exposed. And then they put bugs and stuff in there and let you die from the outside in instead of the inside out. If you cross them, they peeled you or they flayed you. Matter of fact, Tiglath-Pileser had mastered the art of just where to cut on someone's face in order to peel their face off, yet leave them alive as an example. This is what happens if you mess with us. There was a rumor that went around um, Nineveh one time that a rural farmer was starting a revolt against the Assyrian emperor in, in a rural area. And so he sent a platoon of soldiers to the era. He found that farmer. He murdered his six children in front of him and then raped his wife to death. And then after that, put his eyes out so that the last thing that man saw was his family being murdered. These people were lunatics, okay? If, they cro- if you cross them, they held you down and they peeled you. They mastered the art of how to skin you alive the slowest way possible to keep you alive. There's, a art, there's an artist that drew a picture of this in the 1300s just to, just to show you how serious this was. If you could bring that photo up for me. That's, this, is the, uh, this is the flaying of a corrupt judge. He got caught stealing money from the emperor. And as you can see, the whole town's there and then they're starting at the ankle and they're, they're going to peel um, his skin off. Right? So you could take that down. I just wanted enough to, to show you the seriousness of it. If you've, if you've ever bought into the lie, oh, can you believe how bad this world is? Can you believe how crazy this world is? Compared to when, okay? Listen, is God done redeeming the world? Not even close. Is it better today than it's ever been because of the work of the Spirit of Christ? Yes, it is. Is God done redeeming women's rights? No, but would you rather be a woman today or 1950? Hello. Or 1850. Is God done redeeming race relations? No. But would you rather be black today or 1950? Or 1850. Is God done redeeming civil sort of equity? No. But is it better? Yes. Yes. Nothing is worse. Nothing is worse today than 100 years ago. I had a, I had a colonoscopy last week. I'm so glad it was 2023 and not 1950, right? Right? It's just better. It's just better. Number one selling cough medicine in 1900 was liquid heroin. That's true. It was legal and very effective. It's like, oh, look, Billy's not coughing anymore. 
Matter of fact, Billy's not doing much of anything anymore. I've got to be, I've got to be honest with you. Yeah. Nothing's worse, nothing than 100 years ago, except pollution. Pollution's worse. It is. And divorce rates, to be fair. Divorce rates are worse. But that's just because we're living longer. In Jesus' day, they died at 32. So till death do us part was more doable. Now you have to live with them to 84. It's a whole thing, right? Is God, is God done redeeming these things? No, is it better? Yes. So, so God says to Jonah, I want you to go preach to these people. They peel your face off if you tick them off. <laughs> J Jonah reasonably says no. Because the Assyrians had just got done doing that to Judah, where Jonah lived. You can read about it in history. They went in and ordered the mass rape of every woman in Samaria to create a mixed race of people who'd never be accepted. They buried the Jews in Judah to their neck and they covered their head in honey and let the bugs eat them alive. So God says, I want you to go preach to these people. <laughs> that would be akin to God saying to a Jew in 1939, go preach to Hitler. It just was not reasonable. It was an unreasonable sort of request. Jonah's like, you want me to go to the place where they just did this? And if, they, if I take them off, they're going to appeal. I'm like, no. So he runs and he goes to Joppa and boards a boat to Tarshish. He gets on a boat with pagan sailors who happen to love human beings more than he does. He gets suicidal. He says, just throw me overboard. They're like, we're not going to throw you overboard, bro. You matter more than our prophet. And so what we find in this story is that the pagan sailors actually care about the things of God more than God's prophet does. It's pretty confronting. They end up throwing him overboard, and the story gets really weird then. It says that he sinks to the bottom of the ocean, past the bars that hold up the mountains, into the realm of the dead. And, and, and he's at the bottom of the ocean, and he says the thing that was bothering him the most was the seaweed wrapped around his head, which is strange. Like, if you're at the bottom of the ocean, and the one thing that's bothering you is this flipping seaweed around your head, it's like weird, right? And so God sends a fish down. So God sends this fish down, and this fish rescues Jonah from the bottom of the ocean in the realm of the dead. And then he spends three days and three nights in the fish, and then God tells the fish to throw up. And the fish throws him up, and instead of drowning in the middle of the open ocean, he throws him up on dry land, and that dry land happens to be next to a road, and that road happens to be next to Nineveh. So Jonah gets it, kind of. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the worst sermon ever. In Hebrew, it's only five words, a five-word sermon. In English, it takes eight words to say it. In Hebrew, only a five-word sermon. Here's Jonah's entire sermon to the Ninevites. Forty days from now, you're going to be destroyed. See you later, right? No why, no how, no what do we do, no pathway out. It's frankly a terrible sermon. It backfires, and it works. And it says everybody in Nineveh repented from the greatest to the least, even the animals fasted. Now, you would think Jonah would be happy about that, but no, he's not. He wanted God to destroy Nineveh. Why? Because in his mind, they were wicked. And to be fair to Jonah, they were wicked. This story really confronts the idea that God wants to get the people that we think are wicked. Actually, what we find in this story is God is not nearly as interested in getting our enemies as we are. And God is not nearly as interested in getting you as your enemies are. God loves people just because they're people. So Jonah ends up ticked off, and he tells God off, too. He has no trouble telling God off. He says, I knew it. I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God, a God who repents from evil. I hate that about you. I hate that you're going to be nice to these people. Don't you see how wicked they are? 
If, you, if, you're, if you're paying attention, you're finding yourself in this story. How often do we label the people we disagree with as the enemies of God? And instead of talking about the idea, we label the person as the enemy of God. It's a real sort of problem. And listen, whatever your problem is with Sally and accounting, she wasn't the Assyrians. Whatever your problem is with whatever politician you hate, whatever it is, listen, whatever your problem is with Albo, he ain't Nero, okay? These people were worse than whatever you're thinking. Christians, they, they can irritate me when it comes to how little faith they have in God. Like, they panic about, like, I was in Melbourne once, a couple, it was an election, and people were panicking. They're like, shake! What, are we, what if ScoMo loses, you know? And I was like, look, I'm all for ScoMo, but just a quick history of God. Um, he overcame the watery chaos. He overcame the Egyptian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Roman Empire, the Dark Ages, the British Empire. I think he can handle Donald Trump, right? Like he's not in heaven going, oh my me, what am I going to do with the Labor Party? No, come on. Jonah goes and sits around and pouts. He sits under this plant. You're caught up with the story. Now, if you're a linear learner, you got lost in that because that was a big narrative. So I did this for you. Next slide. <laughs> what we learn in this story is that you can run from God, but you can't outrun him. What we find in this story is as much as you want to ruin your own life, God will let you do that. He will not overstep your will. But he's always out in front of you going, have you had enough of yourself? I'm willing to co-suffer and engage the watery chaos with you. Whatever you, hey, hey, if you're going to ruin your life, I grieve over that. But I'm telling you, I'm going to be out in front of you always being generous with my grace, always offering you a pathway back anytime. One step back, God's ready to meet you the rest of the way. We learn that God is, let's say it this way, next slide. We learn that God wants to get us back without paying us back. And that's a big thing. What we learn in this story is there's no, this, there's no retribution sort of thing in God. But what we also learn is that great moves of God start with a revelation of God's love for us and them. You can't, this story teaches us you can't want mercy for yourself and justice for everybody else. You can't go, God, get, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, have mercy on me. God, get them. God, get them. No, no. What we learn is that God is reaching out to everybody, even the Assyrians. <laughs> this is the end of the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. Check this out. Next slide. So Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. And he sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Translation, he was waiting for God to hurt them really bad. <laughs> Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. If you're a note taker, that's a critical sentence. He's very happy about this plant. Check this out. But at dawn the next day, God provides a worm and he chewed the vine so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. And he wanted to die and he said it would be better for me to die than to live. So he goes from happy to suicidal in a day. He's a bit unstable. Next one. But God said to Jonah, rhetorical question. Do you have any, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? The implied answer is no. I had nothing to do with it being here. I had nothing to do with it going away. 
Actually, 24 hours ago, I didn't know it existed. Why would I be so angry about the vine? Have you ever asked someone a question and they weren't picking up what you were putting down, right? Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Watch Jonah. Jonah says, I do. I do. I'm angry enough to die. Jonah is missing the point still. But by the way, some characters are put in the Bible to show us what not to be. <laughs> this is one of them. <laughs> Next one. Uh, but the Lord said, you, you've been concerned about this vine. That you didn't tend it or make it grow. It just sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? That's the end of the book of Jonah. What a terrible way to end a book. <laughs> like God should have consulted a professional writer or something. Why would you end a book with a question? Should I not be concerned about that great city? The end. That's <laughs> a terrible ending to a book unless the point of that book was to be a sermon read in communities of followers of God. Sermons are, de declarations are meant to be agreed with. Like if I said Jesus is Lord, right? That's a declaration you should agree or not agree. Like, yeah, we agree or no, 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 no right? That declarations are meant to be agreed or, or disagreed with. Sermons are meant to be wrestled with for what do we do with this? In this story, God is asking a persecuted Jew to be kind to people who would have raped his family. And he's working out, how do I find the love of God for people I think are the enemies of God? There's... There's this thing going on. Should I not be concerned about them? In this story, God's asking, you're wanting to bring up everything they did. Am I not allowed to love them just because they're people? Am I not allowed to do that? But let's, let's wrestle with that for a second. Next slide. So, so what we talk about in this story is that we can run from God, but we can't outrun him. We've also talked about that God wants to get us back without paying us back. But here's where I want to park for probably the rest of the morning. The challenging part of this story for me is this reality. What we find is that we can, we can surrender to God's moral will for our lives and still miss God's redemptive plan for the whole world. This is very, very confronting. What that means is, is that it's perfectly possible for us all to individually surrender our lives to God's will for us, God's plan for us. I've surrendered my life to God for me and yet still miss the point that God's at work in them. <laughs> I wonder if we've ever done that. I wonder if we've ever labeled a group of people the enemy of God, and instead of seeing God's love for them, we wanted mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. There's always a Bible verse to justify mistreating somebody, including us. There's 86 verses in the Bible that forbids overeating. Have we ever been guilty of labeling the person the enemy of God? Which leads me to Jesus. I try to bring all my sermons around to how Jesus saw the world, how Jesus saw God, and how Jesus applied scripture. Because that's what Christianity is, okay? Christianity is not, brace yourself, Christianity is not being an expert in climate. It's not. Please have your opinion about climate, but don't be known for it, right? Je Jesus, and most of us don't know anything about it, right? Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciple by your love. Mm, yeah, yeah. 
not by your vax stance, your max stance, your health stance, your political affiliation, not by your opinion about climate, not by your opinion about Bible verses, and certainly not because we're known for being amateur predictors of doom. No, no. Like, have whatever opinion you want about climate, about politics, and you should, you should vote. Some of you are anointed for politics, you should run for office. But don't be known for that. Be known for your love for people. Right? So there's this... Christianity is, is how Jesus saw the world, how Jesus saw God, and how Jesus applied Scripture. Christianity is not getting every verse in the Bible right. Christianity is applying those verses how Jesus applied those verses, yeah. which is to fulfill Scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. There was a verse that said to stone adulterers. I don't think any of us would actually stone an adulterer. It would definitely be illegal and definitely for sure frowned upon. Right? But that's not Christianity, even though there's a verse in the Bible that says to do it. Christianity is, no, 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 she committed adultery, but I love her more than the rule you found. I, God loves people more than the rules we find. And so Jesus called us to fulfill scripture instead of being right about it, to treat her as we would want to be treated. So he lets her off the hook, and then he challenges her to change her life. That's exactly how we would all want to be treated, right? Which leads me to this story about Jesus. It shows us a lot about how he saw the world. I think if the whole world converted to how Jesus saw the world, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. It just yeah. would. Like, like whatever, whatever doubts or thoughts or questions you have about God, or, or, let's just go to the most basic thing. If the whole world saw the world how Jesus saw the world, the world would in fact be a better place. And that's about as basic as it gets. This is, this is Mark chapter 10. It's an encounter with Jesus and his disciples and a blind man. Check this out. Next slide. Then they came to Jericho, Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city. And a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. Quick caveat here. This guy was blind. That is sad. In our world, we would think that's sad. In their world, they would have thought that was sad, but it was bigger than that. In their world, they believed if someone was blind, somebody somewhere sinned, and God was getting his pound of flesh from that person, okay? We would never think that today. We would never blame God for calamities. Never, never, ever, ever. They did, though, because that's just how they thought. And so it wasn't just that this guy was blind. It was that somebody somewhere did something, and that was God's punishment on this man. So if you help him, you're kind of helping the enemy of God. So it was a whole social outcast sort of thing along with being blind, all right? So this, is, this guy's not just blind. He's the enemy of God for something somebody somewhere did. That's important. So this guy's begging. And he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Jesus' dad was named Joseph. So why are they calling him son of David? Different message for a different time. Next slide. Many rebuked him. Hold on. There's only a few characters in this story. There's Jesus, Jesus' disciples, and a blind man. There's no Roman soldiers. There's no pagans. There's no idol worshipers. It's Jesus and his disciples. Do you know any of Jesus and his disciples? Anybody can, anybody can identify with this story? Or anybody in here, either Jesus or one of Jesus' disciples? That's what's going on. And so in this story, the disciples of Jesus are rebuking the beggar in their own pursuit of Jesus and failing to see the irony in that. 
Like, imagine that. Shut up, beggar. Don't you see we're following Jesus? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. Hey, they they rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Shut up, beggar. Don't you see we're following Jesus? But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. I I love the disciples here because they're learners too. Like they thought, hey, he's probably done something bad, right? Shut up, beggar. We're following Jesus. And Jesus corrects them and he goes, no, 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 no. Call that guy. Let me remind you, we are all about that guy. We're all about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they get it immediately. They're like, oh, really? Cheer up, bro. It's your lucky day. He actually wants to speak to you. Like, it's this, like, quick sort of, oh, 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 right, right. We love the poor and the afflicted and the more. Oh, right. Sometimes good ideas take a long time to catch on. It's okay. It, it, it's okay. He's calling you. This story makes us question a few things. Next slide. Are, are we overlooking the beggar in our own pursuit of Jesus? <laughs> like, like, like let, let's insert different characters there. Are, are, are we overlooking the beggar in our own pursuit of Jesus? Or... Are we overlooking the people we perceive as the enemies of God in our own pursuit of Jesus while failing to realize God called us to love our enemies? The Jonah story is, oh, oh, really? Really? You're, you're a follower of God? Um, oh, you're all about the love of God? Oh, really? Really? H- how far can you take that? Can you take that to the Assyrians? <laughs> oh, they, they raped your whole family. They buried them to the neck. Can you show the love of God to them? In the Jesus story, oh, oh, you're all about the love of God? Can you show the love of God to people in your perception or the enemies of God? In both these stories, what we find is that God loves people and he's reaching out to people regardless to the level of the broken story. And here's where I want to bring this right home to right here. No matter how broken your story is, no matter how severe the chaos, if the chaos of your life is equitable to sitting at the bottom of the ocean with your head wrapped in seaweed, what these stories show us is that God in the Old Testament Testament and God revealed in Christ are both willing to engage your broken story exactly where that broken story is and move you to a better narrative around that story. In other words, if I could say it simply, you're never so broken that God is not out in front of you offering grace. Are we overlooking our enemies in our own pursuit of Jesus? Have we ever, let's say it this way, are we pursuing God's will for us while ignoring his will for the rest of the world? Have we ever wanted mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else? What these stories remind us is that maybe loving God and loving our world is the same thing. There's a, there's a great book written on this. You gotta read it. It's gonna be the easiest to read too. It's called First John, okay? First John is this five chapter book um, about what it means to be known for your love. And it's simply John says, if you say you love God, but you don't love your fellow man, you're a liar. And the truth is nowhere to be found in you. The whole point of 1 John is the world is tired of people who say they love Jesus, but when you look at their life, they don't love anything else. It's that. 1 John's point is, is that loving Jesus is almost never simply a function of announcing our love for Jesus. It's a function of demonstration of love for our world. Let's say it another way. I hope you have every radical encounter that God ever has for you in this place. I do. But if what happens in here doesn't translate into a more loving person out there, you kind of missed the whole point. 
Like you're just stepping over people you perceive as enemies of God in your own pursuit of Jesus. These stories are incredibly confronting about how, um, how, we, see, how, how we see the world. This, is, this, is an, this, this means that, that loving Jesus is not a function of wearing a cross around your neck, although please do. It's not a function of the bracelet. It's not a function of the fish on the car. And it's certainly not a function of share this meme on your Facebook wall if you're not ashamed of Jesus. Ah! Loving Jesus is a function of a demonstration of love for our world. Back to Jonah. Next slide. (laughs) How does, three questions. How does the book of Jonah end? What is the first and only description of Jonah being happy? And what is Jonah doing when he's described as happy? (laughs) The book of Jonah ends with Jonah sitting under a plant in his own comfort. Jonah ends with the prophet of God missing the point. He's sitting in his own comfort, hoping God destroys people, which is supposed to be a comedy. This part of the book of Jonah was written as a comedy. It's supposed to make us laugh. Like, how much can this guy miss the point? Like, think about how many opportunities in the book of Jonah does Jonah have to be happy? A lot. And Jonah was called by God, and he was so happy and privileged to be called by God. Nope. And Jonah ran from God and lived to tell the tale about it. Nope. And Jonah got on a boat with pagan sailors who happened to be nice people instead of mean people. Nope. And those pagan sailors actually care about human life more than their own personal profit, which would have been very, very rare. He's so happy to be in the presence of these people. Nope. And Jonah gets thrown into the open ocean and sinks to the bottom and then gets rescued by a fish. He was so happy not to drown at the bottom of the ocean. Nope. And instead of living in the fish forever, it was after three days, God tells the fish to throw up. He was so happy to be out of there. They're so brilliant. You know, he's so happy to be out of the fish. Nope. And when the fish throws him up, he doesn't throw him up in the middle of the ocean where he'll drown again. He throws him up on dry land, and he was so happy to have his feet back on dry land. Nope. And that dry land was next to a road that happens to go to the place he was supposed to go along. He was so happy to be on that road to where he's supposed to go along. Nope. And Jonah preaches against the Ninevites, and, and they don't tie him down and take his skin off. And he was so happy to keep his skin No, he's sitting in his own personal comfort, hoping God destroys people. Now that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that would sit in an air-conditioned room on broadband internet and use their energy that God gave them today to tear somebody down that they see as an enemy of God and find comfort in tearing them down on the internet? Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who would secretly celebrate if God destroyed their enemy instead of celebrating if they came to know the love of God? you know anybody like that? This isn't just a story about Jonah and the followers of Jesus in Mark 10. This is a story about me and you and how we look at the world and our priorities. This is, to state it, to state it quite simply, next slide. God says you care about a plant. I care about people. You're happy when your plant lives and you're angry when it dies. I'm happy when people live and I'm angry when people die. Jonah, how you feel about your plant is how I feel about people. What if we cared half as much about people as we did about our plants? In case case you're Captain Literal, 
um, a plant is a metaphor for things that bring us temporary pleasures. Not talking about your literal bushes. <laughs> I think I don't really care about plants. I'm talking about things that give us pleasure. Yeah. Australia is a nation of plants. And those plants give us pleasure. And I'm all for most of them. The internet. I love it. I think the world's better because of it, sort of. I prefer Netflix. I do. You say, Shane, there's lots of bad stuff on Netflix. Yes, don't click on it. 500 years ago, they were tying people down and disemboweling the village betrayer for, for entertainment purposes. Netflix is better. <laughs> Have you ever had your Wi-Fi go out at your house? And you realize how much is attached to it. And what do you do? The only thing you can do, you unplug it, wait 10 seconds, plug it back in. Hopefully that works. If it doesn't, what do you have to do? You have to call Telstra, right? <laughs> oh, no. Flipping Telstra. Okay. I mean, I'll hold for two hours to fix this, you know? Think about the last time that happened. How angry did you get? Oh, very very. We're angry when our plants die. What if we were half that mad when people died? God's saying, you know what? I want you to have the grace to enjoy your plants unless those plants take priorities over people. I love plants. I, I have an app on my phone called Ko. It's awesome. KO allows me to watch real-time, full HD sports from America on my phone in Australia. It's an awesome plant. But it requires a data signal. And so I was out in the middle of nowhere one time in a place called Gainda, out in Queensland. I know, I know. If you don't know where Gainda is, start in Bundaberg, go west, drive to hell, turn right... Gainda. <laughs> and I had to go the next day to Kingaroy. I was speaking there. So I thought, this is okay. I, I had, a, I, I had a, a game on. I said, this will make the drive go by. And I hooked the Bluetooth to the thing. I would listen to my game. This is going to be great. And it was on the main road, a road called the A3. Do you know how much of that road has any service at all? Three Ks. Three Ks out of Gainda. This is what it was. <laughs> I don't know how many people die on that road. There's nowhere you can call. There's no... I was very angry about my plant. What if we were half as mad and half as energetic and half as upset about people not knowing the love of God as we are about our temporary pleasures going away? That's what this story's about. <laughs> now, great sermons aren't meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with, actually. They're meant to be wrestled with for application. Let's wrestle with a few questions. Next slide. How do we think about our enemies? Like, no indictment. None of us particularly are fond of people that don't like us. I get it. But do we want mercy for ourselves and fail to see God at work in them just because they're our enemy? Or they're the other. They're the Democrat. They're the Republican. They're the labor. They're the liberal. They're the whatever. Are we still us and them thinkers? Here's another question. Is, are, are we acting for temporary pursuit or for permanent progress? 
The problem with plants is they're not sinful. God gave him his plant. We're supposed to enjoy our plants unless our enjoyment of plants trumps our care for people. Let's say it this way. Is there any place we've forgotten our fish? Here's what they do every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. They have a moment of remembering where they would be had God not touched their life. And they say it this way. My father was a wandering Aramean. In other words, if we ever lose sight of where we would be had God not touched our life, we'll lose sight of our responsibility for their life. In this story, Jonah's just been rescued from a fish and he still wants God to destroy people not like him. Talk about missing the point. Where would we be had God not touched our life? Let's say it this way. Next slide. Do we believe or do we really care? This story shows that it's possible to believe in Jesus and be fully surrendered to his will for our life and still miss the point of his love for other people and still not care about the things he cares about. This gives Christianity a bad name. Christians who do this end up going on the internet saying, the Christian stance on climate is, you don't know climate, and it's not our purview. The Christian stance is we're going to see the world how Jesus saw it, see God how Jesus saw it, and apply Scripture how Jesus applied it. That's the Christian stance. Do we believe or do we really care? But Great teachers can summarize things in one sentence. Here is my summary. Plant or people. You can live your life for temporary pleasures and urges, or you can live for permanent people. The, the choice is in fact yours. The choice is us. It's ours to make. Do you want to live for plants that come today and go tomorrow? Or do you want to live for something permanent? The work of God in people. So I want to invite you to pray a prayer. A couple prayers, actually. If the Holy Spirit's moving you to pray these prayers, please pray the prayers. Get in on them. If the Holy Spirit's not moving you, please ignore me. There's no vacancy in the Trinity for me, okay? First prayer is this. Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you Because of how I'm presenting you. If you're willing to pray that prayer, why don't you just underneath your breath. Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you because of how I'm presenting you. The second prayer is this. Holy Spirit, would you bring to my mind where I'd be if you hadn't touched my life? And give me that level of love for others. Third prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me for where I've honored plants over people and give me the courage to change my life. Amen. Would you look this way? Thanks for being part of your journey this morning. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central, and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, 
please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.